to the three-way podcast. Hello, everyone. Our special guest for today got introduced through social media, which was really amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad to even have the chance to get people responding to our podcast. So I'm very thankful for that. But uh, so we, he sent me a message and then uh, we booked them right away, of course. Uh, and uh, going to be a very interesting podcast, guys. So I want to introduce uh, Paul Chaderjian. Welcome, and Paul. Thank you. It's thank good to you, be here. Thank you very much for coming, Paul. Thank you for messaging us. I know well, that's incredible. It's what it's, you know. I love podcasts. You know, I've been a fan of uh, podcasting since iTunes launched all of its services, yeah. and I heard your show with Anna, and I thought these guys are doing a good job. Like, I want to be part of it. Thank you. And I'm out promoting my book, so I thought I better call them. No, thank that's you very much for that. And actually, you you brought us a gift and you brought your book to us which is amazing which you'll we're definitely get in detail and talk 100%, about it. 100%. I'm looking for a review from both of you 100% <laughs> no it's no. gonna be awesome. I'm actually really hyped for this and uh, let's get into the book actually since we're talking about it so let's start with the title it's called Letters to Barbara it's a fictional novel based on all of our experiences collectively as Armenians as we try to deal with our identity where we belong you know what is home what is the homeland who we are as people so I took somebody who was sort of like autobiographically related to me because I was born in Beirut so my protagonist Adam was born in Beirut I didn't live in the Civil War but Adam goes through the Lebanese Civil War as he's growing up and uh, someone tells him just to keep him busy when there's no school when there's no electricity somebody tells him to start write, like writing letters mm-hmm. and he remembers seeing a film when he was a kid of uh, Barbara Streisand what's up doc and he remembers laughing really hard so um, I you know had him start writing letters to Barbara Streisand from the war and then I follow him through his adulthood as he goes back to the homeland for the first time and I incorporated my feelings when I went to Armenia in 1998 for the first time and you know how was that experience? Uh, it was amazing. I mean, like, you know, you hear about Armenia all of your life, and you hear about how you have to be an Armenian no matter what. And yeah. then you go home to the homeland, but then you feel like you're a stranger. You're, you're an outsider. Yeah. <laughs> and you so, get spotted out of the crowd. Yeah. But, so I, I, I was contemplating that. Like, you know, I, I lived and worked in Armenia for about five years. Um, I mean, you feel at home there. You feel comfortable in your skin. But as a diasporan, I don't know if we'll ever find where we belong. That's true. I guess wherever you make home, yeah. as long as you keep your tradition going, uh, you don't forget where you come from. And that's the key and most important thing. How long think. ago, Paul, did you were you in Armenia or uh, when um, you visited? I, my last time was in July when uh, my employer uh, allowed me to shoot a half-hour uh, interview with Nigol Pashinyan, Prime Minister. Oh, wow. Uh, so we took an entire crew from Doha, Qatar. I work for Al Jazeera in Doha, in the state of Doha, in the state of Qatar. Uh, and we sat down with the Prime Minister, our uh, correspondent from the UK, Robin Foster Walker. Uh, I wrote the questions and produced the episode, and it went on the air. So that oh, was the wow. last visit to Armenia. How was the whole meeting, like, just in general, um, everything? Well, we I landed him because I reached out through contacts during the protests, and I said, uh, you know, I I worked with CivilNet uh, back when it was launching in 2013. It's an online uh, independent news uh, webcast yeah. channel website. I had known the two people who launched that website, uh, Vartan Oskanyan and Salpi Ghazarian. Salpi Ghazarian is now the uh, the executive director of the Armenian Institute at USC. Oh, wow. And Vartan Oskanyan was at one time foreign minister in Hayastan. Uh, so I had met them because they published a magazine called Armenian International Magazine 
20 years ago here in Glendale. Wow. Uh, and I contributed articles to them. And then when Salpi and Vartan uh, got out of the foreign ministry, they launched CivilNet, which was uh, to serve its purpose of trying to create democracy in post-Soviet Armenia. So they were promoting independent journalism. Uh, they were doing a lot of Armenian writing. They wanted to do English. So I went in and helped Salpi start English reporting. Did that um, allow, like, doing it online, it gives you that freedom of actually getting the real news out there? Instead of, to not a certain filtered. degree, it's censored. So you have that unfiltered yeah. uh, aspect doing it online. Yeah, especially in Armenia, where the government controlled at the time all of the terrestrial stations, the newspapers, all of that. Here was this channel uh, web streaming the protests as they were happening. It started early from, like, the 2013 uh, the transit hike that was proposed for the 100 Taram was supposed to go up to however much more for the marshutnis or the minibuses. So people were protesting and CivilNet was there broadcasting those protests. And they continued with Electric Yerevan. They continued with everything that has happened up to the Velvet Revolution. So I think on behalf of uh, CivilNet and Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, and all the independent channels, that's what made the uh, revolution successful. Because sure. it, it told people what was happening, and they could tune in, they could come out, they could participate. Yeah, I remember when the president before, uh, who was sitting in power, it actually got to here where people were protesting in Glendale. I'm like, yeah, that's incredible big. to get that, just the presence noticed here it definitely sends a big message it's the power of media it's like what you guys are doing are part of that access that we didn't have 10 years ago 20 years ago to be able to get conversations out into the public where we would have these conversations in our living room now we can have it on a public platform and have people listen anywhere in the world at any time on any platform even for us we initially started the podcast as experience a skill just to gain something off yeah. that and use that uh towards our career have like a hosting experience and just improve on just speaking because the moment you record yourself and you hear it you catch yourself saying so many words yeah and or repeating yourself which is horrible i'm sure you probably experienced that yourself yeah i, I still do it i <laughs> i sometimes you know like right now when i said i i i shouldn't say i i, I oh, shouldn't say free. you know <laughs> you like, speak we, perfect thank yeah. you you're fine uh, we're humans so when we're thinking we utter you know we say hum or you know and like yeah. things like that <laughs> yeah which you don't you don't have to do in broadcast journalism because you record your voiceover, you have a sure. script, and you're just reading your the script that you wrote. Um, even on live shots, you know what you're going to say, so you get up there and you say it, and you don't have to put words together at the last minute as you're speaking. Yeah, yeah that's true. No, definitely. Yeah, th what you're doing is an art, so like yeah. to be able to talk without any notes. Is, you know. <laughs> you learn. I, I swear, we learn by like each episode that goes on. The more like we try to learn from, like. I'll, I'll catch myself, so I'll listen to each episode after he's done, like, editing. And then uh, I'm like, okay, maybe I should work on this a little bit better. Or, you know, like, stuff like that. I'll definitely, yeah, make emphasis where he, if he's repeating it something thousand times. Because it makes my <laughs> editing uh, <laughs> difficult. But going back, Paul, you're a man of uh, many talents. Uh, you oh, went thank to you. USC. Yes. You also went to Fresno State. Could you uh, shed light on that? How did you choose uh, your, well, did you choose journalism as your major? Yeah, um, you know, when I was um, 
I'd always been fascinated by television news, and uh, I had the opportunity when I was 13 to audition for a TV show that the Fresno Unified School District was going to produce. And as I mentioned before, uh, at the time in the 80s, there was a lot of gang violence, uh, a lot of drugs in the schools, and the school district was getting a lot of negative press. And they said, okay, we want to do something about this. We want to share some of the good stories in our schools, the excellent students the ath in athletics, after school clubs. Uh, so they invested uh, a budget and they they hired a production company and then they opened auditions for whoever was interested in their schools. I auditioned and I was chosen and for a couple of years, every month I would get to do one story. Pitch the story, they'd say yes and then the production company would meet me at the story site and I'd do interviews and a stand-up and then that would go on the air. Uh, so, you know, at 13, 14, 15, I thought, wow, I'm doing this. This is fun. Yeah, oh, it's possible. Amazing. And there was a woman in Fresno named Stephanie Burujian. She was an anchor woman. She's like maybe five years older than I am or 10 years older. So when I saw her on the air, I'm like, oh, maybe Armenians can be on the yeah. air. Yeah, it definitely gives you hope. Yeah. And so um, I decided against my mom's and dad's and my siblings' advice <laughs> to uh, apply to USC, got accepted, uh, got everybody in debt. <laughs> uh, so you know my poor mom my poor dad um but it was worth it because it opened doors afterwards sure. that was my bachelor's degree from usc so it was in broadcast journalism right yeah i uh production uh we learned everything from writing to you know people who were working at kcbs would come and teach a lecture like would have a lecture on a monday night or somebody from nbc would come on a wednesday night so we interacted with all these people who were in the business and i feel like that's so important because like ultimately when i picked my school uh, even this community college uh, i just wanted to improve our writing and that's my dream career choice writing and directing but when i did my research and uh, i realized like most of the professors here even today are still somehow connected to the industry so it's so much more than just books and theory yeah of course. it's hands-on experience yeah. from this guy that are actually writing scripts you know, they know what production. they're talking about pretty much yeah. you know and, like they're not just and that's oh. important it yeah. really is important and they also are future connections for you when you want oh, to yeah. work you know you can call a guy at kcbs and say hey you know i'm looking for a job can i have an internship <laughs> did, is it, did it help you after you graduated? Um, yeah. After I graduated, uh, actually, um, my first job was for uh, the Armenian National Committee, which um, when I was going to university here, they launched the first uh, one-hour newscast, uh, a weekly one-hour broadcast called Horizon TV. Yeah. And it was on Channel 18, so they leased an hour from KSCI TV, and we would uh, a lot of volunteers would come together, and we would shoot newscasts, and we would get video from Armenia, everything from the earthquake, post-earthquake, um, the needs of the of the population, to the Gharapag movement when people were standing up and saying, "We want autonomy. We want to be our own place." We want to have our say in how we're governed, all the way to um, independence, 1991. All of that needed to be communicated in a, in a timely manner. So the Armenian National Committee thought they should do a television news because their paper would come out and it would you know take a week for the paper to be lit, delivered yeah. by mail. And there was no internet back then. So the news would be yeah, it was kind late. of... So um, a gentleman named Garbis Titizian, who is uh, who's the owner of Levon Travel here 
in Los Angeles. He was assigned by the Armenian Revolutionary Committee to launch this program. Uh, And Saad Pirazayan was also an ARF member. And she at the time, I believe, was a librarian at Alex Pilibos. Okay. And so together they launched this one hour and they reached out to people who were in broadcasting, who were filmmaking. And we would get together at the Agump, at the Glendale Center uh, on Colorado, 419 Colorado, which doesn't exist anymore. And on Friday night we'd tape the news and then we would start editing and the editor, the video editor, was none other than Stepan Partamian. Oh, wow. so back in ninety-eight, <laughs> you know, eighty-nine, uh, he was. Uh, we would shoot all the stuff. We would read the news, and Stepan would edit on this real, to, uh, like taped tape, uh, non-electronic, regular, uh, old-fashioned <laughs> That's editor. That's probably worse to do that. Like yeah. we, ha- he has a tape, hard time with this now. Yeah, tape decks. <laughs> Actually, my first uh, short I did uh, when I first started was two thousand nine. It was a, like a one-minute short, nothing serious, but I did it on a mini DV. So we had to actually get the tapes transferred. It was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. it's like uh, It was at the time where we already converted to digital. So I had to take it to a center, get it transferred. And then Apple comes out with the like universal cable where you could just hook it up to the camera oh, and serious? get it downloaded on your computer. Yeah. I mean, it was a real chore. Like, Stepan <laughs> would sit there all night. We'd sit with him. And then by, like, you know, 3.30 Saturday afternoon, we'd be done editing. And then one of us would have to drive all the way to West L.A. to get the tape to the station. Wow. And there were, like, you know, there'd be traffic jobs on the 4 or 5, you know, or the 5. But the tape had to get there by 5.25 or else they wouldn't air it. So it it just shows like how passionate you everyone was resilient like, also. Yeah. yeah, I mean it, it was dynamic because the stories like we got pictures of the Sumgait pogroms of you know these. I remember one of the most disturbing stories was they had shown pictures of a burn a bur- baby that had been held over the fires of a stove, and they it was wow. an Armenian baby, and these Azerbaijani, um, you know, they were trying to instigate uh, violence and they had gone on a rampage and killed Armenians and assaulted even children and we had documentary video and we received it like a year or two later but it was still um, you know it was just gut-wrenching to see and we had to share that that's that's intense though yeah that's I don't even know how like but do they allow it to be on like public TV yeah well you know we uh, we warned KSCI that you know there was going to be uh, content disturbing content yeah. and we announced that in English and Armenian and it it went on the air I mean um, it was news you know yeah uh, it was just there were bodies lying of all these Armenians that had been killed and this was in reaction to Armenians in Gharapa saying we need to have a say in how we're governed and all they did was participate in what at the time Mikhail Gorbachev had professed as policies, glasnost and perestroika. He was allowing re- reformation and, and a renewal uh, of the entire Soviet Union. And Armenians were just following through on their constitutionally given rights to say, we want to have a say. And yeah. then Azerbaijan clamped down and started you know, violating their human rights by killing them, by, uh, by maiming them, by chasing them out of the country. That's, yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, that's a very intense. Paul, so you USC did it improve your network? Uh, yes, it did. So um, I I got to do work for the Disney Channel after USC. Uh, while and at the time it was really difficult to break into news, even in the Fresno market, which is like fifty fifth market or something out of two hundred twenty markets in the U.S. Wow. And you know, like DMAs, uh, demographic. I don't know what the initials DMA stand for, but 
uh, designated market something. The FCC gives um, permission for terrestrial channels, like Channel 2 is a channel that broadcasts on the air. So anywhere with an antenna, you can watch Channel 2. Same with Channel 4, Channel 7. So back in the day, um, when there was little cable penetration, those stations that were given permission to broadcast were the powerhouse stations, and they controlled news and news content. Uh, so you'd have to go to one of them to get a job in news. Fresno happened to be a middle market. Most people would have to go to like Bend, Oregon or somewhere oh, wow. that was like in the hundreds yeah. markets. So I went to Fresno. Uh, couldn't get a TV job because I didn't. I had my Horizon tape, yeah. and no one took that seriously. <laughs> um, you know, it was like me doing stand up in front of the Holy Martyrs Church or something. You know? <laughs> um, but I got a job with that tape on a news radio station. So I started working as a radio reporter. Oh, that was um, in Fresno. In Fresno. Nice. And then the the radio station had uh, a partnership with the Fox affiliate. And then I moved over into producing the weekend newscast on Fox 26. Awesome. And that's how I got into TV. How did you get into or how did you start working for Al Jazeera? So I worked in Fresno for a bunch of uh, stations. I like They would give you two-year contracts, three-year contracts. They'd pay you really like low wages. So if you wanted to raise, you'd have to like find another job that paid yeah. better. So I did that at the... Uh, Fox affiliate, and then CBS, and then at NBC. NBC was the last job that I had in Fresno. Um, then I applied for work, and then I, when I was in Fresno, I did my graduate degree in mass communication journalism. And um, during that time, I went to Armenia a couple of times to do research because I wanted to see what media was like after the collapse of the Soviet Union as compared to what it was like before. So I interviewed people who'd worked for newspapers in the USSR and then I interviewed people that were trying to launch new media independent sure. media um, and one of those companies was Armenia TV it was launched by a philanthropist out of Minnesota called Gerard, Gerard Kafestian sure. uh, and he had gone in after he retired he wanted to do work for the homeland so he had gone to Armenia and he'd started a TV station he'd started a bank he took over the cascade which is I don't know if you know what the cascade the cascade it's like a uh, it was supposed to be a transportation hub where people from the center of town were supposed to be able to go up the hill with escalators so that they could reach the monument section of, of yeah, Yerevan okay. uh, but it had been abandoned in the Soviet era it never finished so Kafestian was given the rights to finish the complex and make the different st uh, stories that uh, it's got like seven to nine stories inside uh, to make museums out of those uh, public spaces, which he did. Wow. And he also launched Armenia TV because he wanted independent journalism. Um, he set up a lab where journalists would come in and learn from American journalists like John Hughes from the Orange County Register. He went there, this Oklahoman with you know blonde hair and a crooked nose, and he went there teaching <laughs> Armenians uh, how to write news the way Americans in the West wrote it, uh, sourcing, attributions, uh, news judgment, all of that, context, uh, which was foreign to folks that had grown up in the Soviet era because they didn't really know what reporting was about. They just heard what the Kremlin said was news, and they were told what that was. And that was it. They just go with it. Yeah, and still, I mean, to, to, this, to this day, Armenia is struggling with journalism, I think, because, you know, a lot of opinion pieces are peddled as fact 
based stories, which they're not. Yeah. So there's a lot of rumors that are created. There's a lot of misinformation. Uh, so Armenia has a long way to go to get to a point where they are equal to like the New York Times or the Los Angeles Times sure. or ABC News. But they're they're working towards that. That's that's great to hear. Like when you went to do the interview with the prime minister, like did you did you notice any changes or differences like uh, since your trip before when you're in Armenia? Like did you notice the changes? No, I mean the changes. Um, the fact that there was a change in government and because finally for the first time since independence, media had a role to play in creating a revolution and forcing a prime minister to step down and forcing the ruling. Republican Party to become nothing, to like give up Parliament, and that was like the biggest change. And yeah. media had a very important role to play in that. Media is what made it happen. Media is what was the glue that brought all the protesters out. Yeah, independent media, you know, social media. Um, oh yeah, I remember seeing the protests. It was brutal. It's like, crazy. Protesters were getting tossed around by the, the cops, authority yeah. there. It was, it was disgusting, and uh, I. For a moment, I was just following it constantly, and just uh, to the point where you, you didn't want to no, watch it. No, but the it. bad it was, part was like you would see it on like like social media outlets or like on the maybe on YouTube because somebody would post it, but like you wouldn't see it on any news outlets, exactly. you know, which is really bad. Well, if you were watching Al Jazeera, Al Jazeera dot com, uh, <laughs> we would see, yeah. you would see it because we were there from uh, when the protests started to like become uh, larger. Yeah, uh, they stopped April twenty fourth for Remembrance Day. And then the next day, the crowds were growing larger, uh, and people had just had enough of uh, of the corrupt government that was banking on monopolies that they'd created because of closed borders. They had cornered different markets from groceries to even cell phones were like monopolized markets. I heard I've heard of the even the people that would ticket just the average folks. It was a it was a part of uh, I don't know if it was the president brother or whatever but yeah that's pretty dirty like when you have a couple of like millionaire billionaires over there and the rest of the people are starving like you know something is yeah. off and so a lot of that was inherited from the soviet era where there was a lot of like the party controlled a lot and there was favoritism to people who knew people and then when you know the economy collapsed uh people who were smart they like you know they basically uh were able to convince other people that worked in the factory to sell their shares of the factory because it was you know communism everybody yeah. owned everything but for like a you know they basically those who were clever were able to take ownership of these factories and dismantle them and then sell the parts to different countries and you know amass wealth and then get into business and they became the businessmen parliamentarians who controlled the government and people just if you're hungry, there's no work, and you're making forty dollars a month as a teacher or a doctor. You know that's yeah, that's you've had that's enough. Bad. You like you take to the street and you say no, no more of this. Like even today, uh, what's the average salary a month? Isn't it like three hundred dollars or something like that? I may be wrong, but from what I heard, like it's it's bad. How yeah, could so. you live off well, that? Armenia is a cheaper place, so sure. like we have to kind of uh, look at it in proportion. Uh, there are jobs that can, you can have in Armenia, and especially uh, IT and professional, where you can make a living. But a majority of the people don't have jobs. I mean, there's like something like 30 to 40 percent unemployment. Wow. Um, and when one member of your family is working, and then friends and family from overseas are sending money so you can survive, that's not a sustainable 
country. No, definitely, definitely, and we we still see that happening. But uh, okay, let's do something better. Let's talk <laughs> about what do you enjoy doing, like on your free time, Paul. Um, I love movies. Movies. Nice. Yeah, and I love books. Um, I you guys are both actors. You're both into well, you're into writing, but you're yeah. both acting yeah. and auditioning. Um, movies have always been magical. Um, you know, they're like the ultimate art form to me. You know, they've got literature, they've got music, they've got acting, drama, they've got architecture with like theater and <laughs> sets. It's all of these arts combined into one thing that take you away from your here and now into anywhere. So that just, that's the magic that I've always loved oh, as yeah, an audience member. So, of course, I, I know, I, I watch Amazon and I watch Netflix. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And I, that's what I enjoy. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I like to write. Uh, and did you get into writing recently, or you've been no, doing it no, for a while? Well, I've been. This is not your first book, right? Yeah, I mean, I did a short, a collection of short stories ten years ago. Yeah. Um, that was called "Doing Time in Hollywood." And where could uh, we pick that up? They're all on Amazon. Yeah, yeah right. Amazon and Letters to Barbers on Barnes and Noble, and um, I'm going to have a book presentation, Abril Books, February 19th, uh, to talk about the the book and people can buy the book. Nice. What time um, is that going to be at? I believe it's at 7.30. Okay. I have to check. Yeah. But Abril Books, Glendale on Broadway. Nice. Um, they hold a lot of cultural events and they invite authors and musicians. Um, so I'm going to be there. I'm, going, I'm also having a book presentation at Fresno State, my alma mater. Yeah, I saw that. That that's that's gonna be so cool. That's awesome. Go back to your school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, uh, the first day that I came back from Doha uh, a week ago, Fresno State showed a documentary about William Saroyan. Okay. So yeah. I you know, I went with my sister. Like you know, I'm jet lagged, but I still wanted to go and see the film. It was really good. Um, and you know, it, it, Fresno Saroyan like synonymous. You know. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. put Fresno on the map, so it was good to see a documentary about his life. Incredible. One book that always strikes me, of course it has my name. My name is Otto. My name is Otto, yeah. <laughs> but he had, of course, very great books. Uh, and it's it's incredible to see uh, successful Armenians. I'm so glad you have this book coming out and you're on TV and you're pursuing a Like mainstream from, media, uh, you know? That? Yeah, majority. 100%. It's incredible. It feels good, really. I've been fortunate. I think, you know, we were talking about this earlier. It's perseverance. It's not how much talent you have. Uh, it's not, you know, how well you schmooze. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't like go and guzzle beer with people and watch football games, <laughs> which like would think that you would think that to get successful in business, you have to like go and golf with people the or net, drink. Yeah. yeah. Network. Yeah. You just, you just show up. I mean, 90% of it is showing up and applying. So when I heard, um, I was working in Honolulu at the ABC station, um, when I heard that Al Jazeera was going to launch Al Jazeera America. And I've always been a fan because when you want to watch international news, there's only a couple of choices. That's a really solid. Yeah. I actually used uh, Al Jazeera for a research project for international news. And like that's the first solid link you get online, just searching it on Google. Yeah. So that's it's awesome. So how was it like over there? Um, Doha is amazing because it's a city that has been – is being built right now. It's like, uh, I don't know of any other lifetime where you could actually show up in a place and know that 10 years ago that place wasn't there. Yeah. And now there's like 
high rises and malls and so it's like a big thriving city now. Yeah, I mean it's being built as like right in front of you. They've got a 37 stop metro that's like being tested now. Wow. They're preparing for the World Cup in 2022. They're building like seven or eight stadiums. Uh, hotels are going up. There's like this uh, area that's dredged from the sea called the Pearl where they've got like 30 buildings around a bay. Uh, I'm sure that's a, helping with tourism too. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, people are curious. They come, uh, they want to see this new city that's being built. Uh, people love the desert and they, they like desert sports and water sports. Sure. Uh, and a lot of Armenians transit through Doha to go to Hayastan because... It's Qatar so Airways cool, flies, right? yeah. But it's, oh yeah, I think that's how my, my cousin actually went went there before he got to Armenia. That was a stop. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Qatar Airways has a daily flight from Doha to Yerevan and then from Yerevan to Doha. How far is that? It's a three-hour uh, flight from uh, Doha and then yeah. two and a half hours coming back. Okay. So it's very close. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the go-to spot. It's bearable. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in Armenia, we're going yeah, definitely. to Definitely. And, you know, uh, I think there's a market for Armenia, uh, you know, in the Gulf states to, to get more tourism from those countries. Sure. Because uh, Armenia is a family-friendly place. It offers all kinds of geography. It's got skiing. It's got summertime activities, hiking. People in the desert don't have all that. We uh, have yeah. to go. Uh, well, since we... Moved to this country in '89. Uh, '89, yeah. We haven't been back. We have so much family there, but like, I don't know. You have this thing in, in back of your mind. I want to go so badly, but I don't want to just go empty-handed. You have to take care of your family. Yeah, you know. And to even give that, something they say, bit. "Oh, you don't need to do all that stuff." It's just you. The inside. Yeah. You want to do something. No, more. you going is a gift to the country and to your relatives. Like material things are secondary. Yeah. There's no reason why you can't take a dollar ninety nine refrigerator magnet that says Los Angeles and yeah. hand that out. You know, <laughs> that's just it's just a token. Yeah. People don't expect handouts. Uh, they're prideful people, and of course the gesture is nice. Yeah. But if you show up, you're going to spend money on your food. You're going to spend money on transportation. You're going to eat at restaurants, and that'll help the economy and it'll help For them sure. indirectly. So you just have to go. But I hear, like, my when my cousin was there, he told me, he's like, you see people from all over the place just, like, visiting Armenia. And they, you, like, I, I mean, I get surprised when I hear that, but I, I didn't know it was such a big tourist destination. Yeah, so. I mean, it used to be before in the Soviet era, that's where everybody from the Soviet Union, from Ukraine all the way to, yeah, yeah. you know, the European countries would come to Armenia for their dashas, for their, like, uh, they'd go to Chermuk to, like, heal from whatever... Yeah. illnesses they'd go yeah. and ski at Zagazor so like it was it was a tourism spot and uh, I think hopefully tourism will be a great income for the medical tourism's on the grow like it's on the growth because it's so much cheaper to go and have your teeth fixed yeah for I've example heard of that. so you can go there and get everything done and come back to the US uh, without having debt and they're state of art hospitals like state of art hospitals that's incredible yeah heart transplant what is it like hospitals. a portion of what they would charge here like yeah it's like you know uh, i haven't had any work done but uh, <laughs> i know that like i sat next to a woman from los angeles who was going to go and get her nose done wow and she was saying it was so cheap that like she couldn't consider having a nose rhinoplasty here in Los Angeles, but she could go to Hayastan, get it done. done, and it'd be like lower with the flight and the hotel than it would wow. be here. That's, so. that's crazy, though. Yeah, that's awesome to know, like, they're 
yeah, th that's the truth, though. We do have to go and we do have to support it. Those are stuff that's going to aid in the economical growth, growth in a for sense. Sure. Yeah. And imagine, like, if there's, like, a million and a half of us here in California or a million Armenians, if, like, half of us went once every year, just imagine how much money that would bring into Make, the economy. Oh, oh, yeah. 100%. And it would create jobs. There'd be, like, more business for restaurants, more business for manufacturing, more business for tourism. People would be hired. They'd have a paycheck. There'd be two paychecks in the household. Yeah. You know, everything just kind of trickles down. It'll work. It'll yeah, it's definitely start working itself out. Because I do see a lot of products here from Armenia. A lot of imports are coming in, which is incredible. It's awesome. Yeah, wine is doing so well. People love Armenian wine, especially from the Irani region. Yeah. And it's you know put us on the map. Cognac has always well, put us on the cognac, map. Cognac, yeah. yeah. I, I know. tried some other cognac. And it's, it's really good. Yeah. I um, forgot the name. I got Well, there's Ararat really is one. Ararat is a yeah. huge one. There's yeah. there's yeah there's a couple of them that are doing really good. It's incredible. Oh, that's it, really good. It said Winston Churchill only drank uh, cognac from Armenia. So. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's that's good to know. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's nice. So it's historic. Uh, people. Um, you know, there's even a tour of uh, the brandy cognac uh, vaults. You can oh, okay. see wow. you know, like how how the they whole have process these, yeah, of the aged, and they have different years and cellars with all these. That would be so cool, actually. 100%. One of your stops when you yeah, go down yeah, yeah, yeah. For any Europe trip, you have to plan for like a month yeah. of vacation at least. And it's not we're like not only on the forefront of wine. But uh, I'm sure you've heard about all the different educational campuses that are opening sure. that have succeeded, like TUMO, which is the after-school education program that teaches kids everything from animation coding to television production to uh, you know costume design or clothing design. It's just amazing that um, there's a place and thousands of kids go there for after-school classes that's awesome and, and is that a non-funded uh it's a funded by a diaspora couple named the simonians i okay. think they're out of texas but they created the first tumor it was so popular they created the second tumor in stepanagid and there's a third tumor in gumri wow. and now there's like foreign countries are coming in there's a tumor in paris they want to wow. do a tumor in germany they want to do a tumor in beirut because it's a avant-garde it's like a new approach yeah like to education where kids have their own they design their own program as to what they want to learn how fast they want to learn and what they want to do that's so amazing wow so we have all these the whole generation of coders that are being trained you to write programs to make robots to like engineering design it's genius kids like growing up there that's amazing i just hope like it'll be easy kind of easier to find jobs like after that or even if they well, take, gonna... take that to even somewhere even let's say if they want to branch out to another country they could apply that over but there. But even then, I feel like if a lot of people get educated in Armenia with those specific or different careers, it's going to lead to more people investing money into Armenia. Mm -hmm. They're going to start IT companies. They're going to start all branching out to other stuff. And it's going to help it economically too. So that's, true. that's a big positive. And it's done. I mean, there's so many examples. You've, um, I'm sure you've heard of uh, PixArt, which is yeah. a yeah. downloadable uh, app that puts accents on your pictures and filters and all yeah. that stuff. It's a huge, globally huge, successful company. It was created by Armenians in Armenia, and it's based in Armenia. And they've got uh, marketing people in Japan and San Francisco. And, you know, it's employing young people. Uh, they have really a better good. lifestyle. And it's all because of uh, the creativity of the people that live there. And it's incredible because, like, the productivity, you have something else to do. So you're not just working and going home. You have something on a positive note where 
you could clear your mind. Career wise yeah. too, but like just in general too, you could clear your mind. You have something to do, make a hobby, and then benefit from it because you're you're getting all these new skills. It's then it's not like a job. You're really just in, doing what you like and getting paid for it. Yeah. And that's what it feels yeah. like because he's saying like you could pick and choose like certain things. It's not like a curriculum here where you know you have to take these courses. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you have no choice to take it. Yeah, but it, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, imagine like somebody says, come in after school for three four hours and learn what you want to learn about. So some people are learning how to make videos. Other people are learning how to make animation. You know, uh, other people are learning how to code software. And that would improve even Armenian cinema or news broadcasts. Yeah. You're going to get a generation of uh, these kids that are so, no, have so much more knowledge. And they're going to utilize that in the industry over there. And uh, eventually, I feel like it, we're going to climb the ladder. No, we are. And, and the fact that they're ex- exporting this education model to france for example wow so we are teaching french how to teach their children how to code you know <laughs> crazy too. Wow. it's pretty incredible yeah uh there's a woman named mary lou papazian she like uh spearheaded this for the simonians and she runs it um it's just amazing like i i did a story about them on al jazeera okay because it was um to me, it was wonderful, and it was something to share. Uh, and then somebody at Al Jazeera in the UK saw it and pitched it as a documentary. So we did a whole hour on Tumo uh, under the series called Rebel Education. Wow. So it's all on YouTube. If you look for T-U-M-O yeah. and Al Jazeera, you'll see my story. You'll see the hour documentary. Um, Speaking of, of that, Paul, like, what's the best way people could reach you, or to let's say to get, for example, like your book uh, opening you're gonna have, or, or book signing? Yeah. What's the best way people could get that info from you? Uh, my handle uh, on various um, platforms is at Doha Paul, D O H A Paul P A U L, and I'm on Facebook, on uh, Letters to Barbers, on Instagram. Yeah. Um, so I've got a Jazeera Paul. A web a Facebook page as well. So, like, if anybody wants to find anyone in this day and age, you just put your yeah. name on Search Google, them, and you're yeah. gonna yeah. find all the links. I've got a website called paulchad.com, and I've yeah. like throw stuff that I've enjoyed doing up there, and there's a contact page. Uh, we're public. We're everywhere. You yeah. Know? And you update the info with uh, everything that you have going on, like uh, Facebook. Yeah. yeah, on Facebook. Nice. Uh, my my website, uh, paulchad.com. Uh, I've sort of stopped publishing on there in 2015. Yeah. Um, because then I started focusing on the book. Yeah. Uh, and I took stuff that I'd been working on and like cemented it and found an agent. Uh, they nice. tried to yeah the Peter Lumpak agency in New New York represented me. Unfortunately, we couldn't sell to the big publishers because they want to be able to say that they'll publish a book and they'll sell 50,000 copies. And they didn't think that my book uh, about the Armenian identity, about the USSR, about Lebanese Civil War could be like a bestseller. Um, But the agency said, look, if we get it out there independently, then we can sell translation rights. So on December 7th, we launched it um, and we're doing this. As an independent press. Nice. Uh, so well, hopefully you get so much congrats. Yeah, out that's there that people incredible. start buying and like it, it. That's really good. Sometimes I feel like that's a better route. I don't know why. Like I feel like you get first is your way. Yeah. Secondly, and then it's you get your project out there. That's the most important yeah. thing. The way you want to do it. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. The, the one of the publishers, uh, 
one of the big names uh, had written Rima, the agent, saying, "Would Paul reconsider restructuring his novel?" Oh. Because I, you know, used a disjointed timeline, like we see in Facebook. You see the present, and the future, and you yeah. see something from three years ago pop yeah, up, and you yeah. don't know why. <laughs> so I, I told the story uh, where I'd go back and forth, like most film now Flashbacks. does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you watch a Netflix or an Amazon sure. series, it happens. Like, yeah, and, and people are used to it. So I wanted to do that too. So I start with um, Adam as a little boy, but then we go back to the 40s in Beirut yeah. where Adam's future love interest, her grandfather, decides to repatriate to Armenia in the 40s yeah. when Stalin was saying, this is utopia, we have jobs, we have apartments, come back to the homeland. So this character, fictitious, goes back to Armenia and starts his life there in the Soviet era. It's it's wow. such an interesting uh, plot. Like I'm I'm hooked. I have to read the book. No, definitely no. We gotta read that for sure. And I feel like that's that's good though. Like you you, it's an artistic choice. Like to do the flashbacks. Things. Well, you're always gonna have critics. I feel like so. I I you gotta do it the way you like it. Exactly. Yeah. And then put it out there. And then the, I mean, peop, there's people that are gonna like it. There's people that might not. But yeah, it I matter. Mean, you know, it's it, it's art. That's you, why you, it's you. That's yeah. the whole yeah. point. Because mm -hmm. if everyone's generic, like everyone writes the same style and. How you tell an author from There's nothing each other? entertaining about it. Yeah. It's true. And then I just thought that our story was so interesting, you know, um being Armenian, being a diasporan, yeah. living in the homeland, repatriating to Armenia. All of that, you know, we don't really read about it. And I thought maybe Armenians would like to read about it. Sure. No, um, for sure. That that's so important like uh even the previous interview we had with Anna, um that's it's like she's doing certain things to reach a different age demographic, like yeah. what the social media and stuff. I feel like we live at that day of time where you have to do that to get the information out there. Because like if you can't just get it from TV alone, do it online, do a blog, do a podcast, yeah. Yeah. write a book. Those are ways we have to do it. You have more, uh, I feel like, uh, opportunities or routes to take, like like you said, than before where you're very limited. Yeah, I mean, it's wide open. 30 years ago, I had to go to a university to be able to get my hands on a camera. Yeah. Now you can shoot with your iPhone. Just yeah. attach a mic it's and you can make a movie. Right? Um, I made a little promotional video for Letters to Barbara yeah. on my iMovie and I put it on Facebook. And you know, 30 years ago, there's no way I could have done that unless oh, I had yeah. an edit. You need you like know? a production for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy though. But but that's 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 why like when you when you have all this like in the in, the, in your fingertips like you gotta just take advantage and yeah. use it fully and that's why we again what we that's why we do this too like just first as an experience second as a tools skill type of thing and now now that it's just growing more it's like just like get your message across pretty it's much. our impulse as human yeah. beings to create i mean that's yeah. what we're born to do we're supposed to create we're supposed to you know not just create art but create life exactly. you know we're like creating like god created so everyone has this impulse to have a voice to say something to do something to dance or to sing yeah. or to write or to make businesses or to create you know programs software something yeah, exactly. we all want to do something so now we all have the tool and there's no reason for anyone to say oh i want to do something well, yeah. go and do it. You know, <laughs> no, exactly. exactly. No, now you gotta just not be lazy and get up and seriously do it. Yeah, because there is no excuses. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and you are guys are doing it, so you're the example. You know. Thank you. Thank you for that. I was in Hawaii because we would um, 
my family would like go to Maui or to Honolulu uh, once a year in the like in the early. I don't know. As a family, we'd like go yeah. for a week. There'd be like a special sale, and you go for seven days. Nice. And um, that was like one time where sisters and husbands and all that everybody would go together and so i always thought oh it'd be so cool to live in paradise you know like <laughs> what's it like and then i went to abc news in new york after i did my uh, master's degree sure. and so i met the Cafestian family foundation when i was doing my research for my thesis um, and they had launched the satellite where they were sending to dish tv the armenia tv signal from mm-hmm. hayastan and they wanted to do English language television. So they said, I was in New York, and I was freezing my, <laughs> my ass off. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, you know, miserable. And I was working for um, World News Now and World News This Morning, which are the broadcasts that air at 2.30, 3, 3.30, and 4 a.m. And so this man named John Waters, who was the executive director of the foundation, he said, what would it take for you to come to Armenia and do what you do? I said, just pay me what ABC's paying me. So I went to Hayastan for five years and did daily newscasts on television yeah. in English. Uh, and then we were affiliated with CNN. So when there would be a big story, I would file a report to CNN and they'd take it or they'd say no. So I, I had like a couple of really good stories sure. air on CNN. And um, when the financial crisis hit, uh, 2008, 2009, no one had any cash, including the foundation. They had um, properties which were devalued. They had stocks which were devalued. So the Confession Family Foundation was forced to, like, cut back all of its outreach to Hayastan. So they got rid of the bank. They closed down the alternative energy laboratory. They sold the TV station. They were funding the Armenian Reporter here in Southern California. It was a newspaper weekly. They closed that down and we were all out of work. And so I thought, okay, what am I going to do now? I don't want to go back to Fresno. So I thought, I want to work and live in Hawaii. So I applied (laughs) for a job. I got a job there. And uh, I was there for two years. Most of the stuff, I mean, it was really beautiful. Like, I would marvel at the clouds every day. I'd go to the beach every day. It was like a 10-minute walk from my apartment. Sounds awesome. (laughs) It was so amazing. But then I was so bored. I'm like, every day I'd go to work, and the biggest story of the day would be a water main break. And there'd be like a traffic jam. uh, Or or the president would come for his Christmas vacation. So then it'd be like wall-to-wall coverage. Mr. Obama went and got shaved ice. Mr. Obama went to this restaurant. You're like... So when I read that Al Jazeera was going to have an operation in New York, I thought, for the hell of it, I was like, apply. And you never know. Like, I always thought that these HR sites are like, you know, the wastebasket. You like send your application and nobody looks at it. Like, they send you a no thank you. Uh, Some guy named uh, Arthur McChurch or something was like, the church was the last name. He like calls up. He's like, we want to interview you. I go, great. And it's like, tomorrow, I go, well, I'm not in New York. So it's okay. Can you fly? I'm like, yeah, I can fly. So I went to New York. I got an interview, like the multiple interviews during the day. And then I thought, oh, I nailed this because I knew Al Jazeera. I knew what they did. And so I answered all the right questions. And then I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to work for them. And then like a month passed and like I didn't hear from them. And then they're going to launch pretty soon. And then another month passed. I called Upchurch. That was his name, Upchurch. Yeah. Uh, I called 
this upchurch guy i'm like hey uh what's happening he's like i don't know i'm like well <laughs> when are you gonna know <laughs> like i don't know so then i found the executive producer who had interviewed me uh Carrie, kelly jarrett and i got her email and i wrote to her i go kelly we had a great interview i'm really excited i want to come to new york i want to be part of this new network she goes i don't know what's happening in new york but if you want to come to doha come to Doha. I'm like, Doha? (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, okay, well, okay, I'll try it. And then I went for three months and it was really interesting because there's like people from all around the world, really amazingly smart people that knew everything about anything. And I'm like, really? I could be part of this? And um, so I became a senior producer, which meant that every day I'd have to find one story that I would report myself so I'd research it. I'd interview people on Skype or on the phone. I'd find video through Stringer or through one of the agencies like Reuters or Associated Press or Agence News Press France. And then I'd put a story together that was two and a half minutes. And then I'd update it throughout my shift. And then when that story was done, then I'd like write stuff that the anchor or the presenter would okay. say. Um, and a couple of times when there was an Armenia story, since I'm like the resident expert, I would go there either as a reporter or as a producer. So for the 100th anniversary, I got to go and report from Zernagapert. I stood there and wow, wow. like talked to the world about our genocide. And um, then when the revolution was happening, well, actually when the four-day war was happening, so we had shown both sides. So from stories that happened for the revolution, I was giving ideas. I was traveling with the team, finding contacts, doing translations, you know, setting up hotels and restaurants and drivers, yeah. producing. That's actually, yeah. I think, really big in the entertainment industry right now, too. And it's, it's I think, gone really... Uh, was it uh, Anthony Bourdain who went to Armenia and he yeah. got... Blacklisted from, from uh, Azerbaijan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... That his interview got him blacklisted. But, you know, even after that, we still told the Armenia story uh, with the revolution, with Nikol Pashinyan. So I think organizations like that network uh, serve the global community well because they have people in all corners of the world they're reporting about africa they're reporting about did they have so they have like just what reporters through from everywhere or yeah they have like something like 80 or 90 bureaus so there's uh you know new york hub there's a reporter in los angeles uh named rob reynolds there's a reporter here in Detroit, uh, Michigan, and New York and Washington. Similarly, you know, we have people in South Sudan and Johannesburg. Uh, you know, uh, we have someone in Moscow. We have uh, global network Kuala Lumpur, like everywhere. Wow. Uh, so something happens, and those people uh, are activated. So, wow. so they'll go to the location and report. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really really good. Um, it's just it's great television. Uh, I just love as I'm still a fan. I like watch. I'm like wow. Look at all those people. Those and and you stopped, right, Paul? You, uh, currently, you're just focusing yeah. on write, writing, getting your book uh, out there. And- yeah, the 16th uh, was my last day at Al Jazeera on uh, January 16th. I gave two-month notice saying that I want to like go home. I want to be doing some other stuff. Yeah. Um, and they're like, yeah, be sure to leave your contacts because most people can usually come back. Like, okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> no, I'll but that's you good. In, you yeah. have like open door. Like, yeah, I said, I'll look you up in three months when I run out of money. I'll like, <laughs> So it's good. Uh, it's all good. And also, um, I've been a volunteer with Armenia Fund for yeah. like 20 years. And part of the reason that I left my full-time job is because Armenia Fund had been asking me to like uh, do some reporting from Armenia. 
And I'd done it once or twice in 2003, 2004, okay. like on finished projects. So I'm talking to them about making a trip to Armenia just to tell Armenia fun stories. Nice. Um, so that's part of what's going to happen in the next couple of months. So you have a busy schedule ahead. Yeah, that's Especially crazy. your book uh, coming out. That's incredible. Uh, Congratulations. No, for thank sure, you. Paul. Do you, are you doing like a – so you have that one event you're going to have in Glendale. But are you doing any other events like that for your book right now? Um, I want to. I, I you know I want to do something in New York. Uh, you know, I've hopefully because that's another center, that's another hub. Maybe San Francisco. Nice. Um, but you know, you really can't spend that much time and money because yeah, that's true. There's really no money coming back on these sure. books. Uh, it's basically uh, unless you know somebody big decides to do a second edition and pays me an advance of five thousand dollars or ten thousand yeah. dollars or some studio wants. A screenplay or something that would be uh, really cool. Definitely. Just doing it for the love of wanting to do it. Yeah, nice. um, that's that's so important, and I love that. Yeah. You have some time to focus on your storytelling and your stuff out there, and, and then you have a like you have these skills, like you have a career. No, but I feel like when you work on a project like that, like just like do you want to do it because just it's your passion about it? I feel like it, it you get a bigger payoff. I feel like. But when you go into it for like, let's say, like the money part of it, it's not the same. Well, that yeah. never lasts. I feel like if you just do it for the money, you're. It's. I don't know. You have a certain amount of time where you're gonna do it, and it's. But yeah. money would be sweet, you know. Yeah, of course, <laughs> we all need money. Uh, yeah. we're all on that page. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, we're blessed that we actually have access to these mics on these computers. You know, sure. Yes. You know, we can actually walk into a store and buy a laptop that will make a movie for you. Oh yeah. You know, oh, I'm sure. like, wow. <laughs> you know, we we can go in and get an iPhone. It's got HD quality video, and buy a mic for like sixty bucks, and then you've got and a free app that will yeah, edit there's it. really yeah. no excuse. Um, same same with writing. You know, like yeah. uh, you can write on a piece of paper. You can write on your laptop. You can write at the library at school, and um, and if at least one person, like a, you know, your friends, want to read it, then mission accomplished. 100%. Yeah, you have exactly. a story. You told true. it. If so, somebody in like you know New Jersey decides to read it and I don't know about it, you know it's really irrelevant. No, that's unless true. you know I have to know the person. They have to tell me that they read it, they liked it, or they didn't like it, and why. Um, then you feel like you've done something. Sure. We should do like a uh, like a hashtag or something on social media, like contact Paul, like after yeah. you read it, like just to Hasht- give. 100%. You know, there's two hashtags. A, fr- a friend of mine from Fresno who lives in New York. He took a picture of him and the cover. Uh, he's like a father of three. He's like married to a doctor, and they're like you know really uh, professional people. And yeah, uh, his name is Hajak, and he took a picture of him holding the book, and he hashtagged it. I am Adam too. So nice. That's a good. I'm, tr- oh, I'm using that. Yeah, uh, we're gonna use that. Okay, we're gonna and, definitely and, and, use uh, that. Hashtag letters to Barbara. B A R B R A. Uh, that's the other hashtag. And I'd love to hear from people if they read it, if they hated For it. For sure. Well, we're gonna post it, so we're hoping to get a lot, a lot of people interested. So. Yes, yeah, sounds great. Thank you so much, Paul. Paul, thank you very much. You. Yes, and it was very informative. Honestly, I'm, I'm so happy you reached out. Like, honestly, like I, I'm. I, I was a little bit, I swear, I thought like somebody was like, you know, one of the, you get a lot of people that message you, you're like, oh, I doubt that's going to happen. Yeah, well, you think about it like social media has this positive, but it's, oh, it's getting to people. But then something like this happens, I'm like, it's wow. incredible yeah. how no, we can for just sure. get connected through. I really media. believe like there's, you know, people say, this is like a maybe 60s or 70s term, they say serendipity, like things happen yeah. when they're supposed to happen the way they're supposed to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know how I found Anna's picture and 
you know, Anna's uh, podcast and then I'm like listening to her and then I listen to your first show. I'm like, this would be a good place. Yeah. Like, where else am I going to talk about Letters to Barbara? Like, <laughs> ABC News is not going to call me and say, you wrote a book about the Armenian identity. What What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's going to happen after for the show. Sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate goal. Well, so keep up the good work. Thank I will you, be Paul. listening. I'm like, you know, downloading all of your episodes on iTunes. Thank, thank you so, so much. Thank you very much. Keep and we, we hope to get a lot of people interested in your book too. So we will post it. We're going to use your hash- hashtags for sure. Awesome. We're going to create a one that says contact Paul because we want he want, I'm sure you want to hear feedback on yeah, it of course. Yeah, of course, so. of course. Yeah, even Thanks. if it's bad, like we have um, a former colleague uh from ABC, he he read the book. Yeah. And he's like, "Dude, you were switching channels on me every 5 minutes. I didn't like it." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> fine. That's your that's your reaction." That's your processing <laughs> speed. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's the point you're making because you're going back and forth, but like it's like that's the that's Art artistic of it. Yeah. style. You know, it's like they use it in movies too. And American it, it Beauty makes starts sense. off with uh, him talking, narration, yeah. and then he goes to the story beginning from how everything happened. He says, Oh, this is me. This is what I live. This is who I am. I'm going to die in this number of days. And oh, yeah, yeah that's true. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see what happens. Thank, Thank you, you for so sure, much, Paul. Paul. Thank you very much. Um, Letters Everybody, to Barbara, definitely check it out. Check out Go Letters get to the Barbara. Book. Find Paul on all social media platforms, Facebook, yeah. uh, Instagram, and uh, Doha, on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter is Doha Paul, D-O-H-A-P-A-U-L. Um, same with uh, Facebook, it's uh, Doha Paul. Letters to Barbara is on Instagram, and then paulchat.com is my site. Thank, Thank you very you much, so guys. Much. I hope you enjoyed this. Thank and you. again, if you guys have any questions, feel free to contact us through our email. It's on our Instagram page, and you guys have a good night.